praise uh, praise God for today. Praise the Lord that um, it will be a blessing for us as we go through an incredible doctrine in the Bible. A doctrine is a teaching. A teaching is that which we are to learn, we are to believe is absolutely true. And one of the things that we will discover is that the risen Christ is central. It's central to everything to do with our faith. It's central to the entire concept of Christianity. It's central to the scriptures. We're going to find that the resurrection is the central proclamation of the Bible. We'll find the resurrection is the central validation of the Son of God. It is the central foundation of our faith. And it is the central confirmation of our salvation. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And many of that, much of that is in the text that you've read and also additional text that we'll put together as proof. Before I go into it, let's, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, there are times, dear Lord, when I bring the scriptures and open the word of God and propound them unto your people, to your children. And there are times, Father, when I do so, that there is such a valuable and important doctrine that we need to give great consideration to. And I ask of you, dear Lord, in spite of all my own shortcomings and in spite of the shortcomings even of your congregation, we desire, dear Lord, to know the wonderful truth of this doctrine of the resurrection. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would be with me and that you would be the one who would receive the glory for the word of God and for the truth that's found within the scriptures and our mind's ability, our heart's ability to be able to understand it. Please, dear Lord, be with us in every way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The central proclamation of the Bible in our text, have a look there again in Luke chapter 24. We'll just read from verses 3 to 8 that you'll be able to recognise an interesting element within it. It says, And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living from among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they remembered his words. The resurrection is the central proclamation of the Bible. The context of the passage itself bears witness in itself that there is nothing more to add concerning the argument of the angels themselves. Matter of fact, we see that in the entirety of the last verse, a simplicity in the entirety of that verse. And they remembered his words. These are the words of Christ. These are the words of the word of God itself. There are words spoken by Christ concerning himself, words that he spoke clearly, yet seemed never to be understood until after he was risen. In John 12, 32, he says, And if I be lifted up from the earth and will draw all men unto me, this he said, signifying what death he should die. 
The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth ever. And how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? This is the Jews. The Jews didn't understand what the Lord Jesus was referring to, what he was speaking about. How can you be saying that the Son of Man is going to die? How can you be saying that when the text, the, the law, the Old Testament law tells us that he, he abides forever? Well, it doesn't only say that. It speaks about it, you recall, in the book of Daniel chapter 9, that the Messiah is going to be cut off. So on the one hand, we've got an interesting dilemma that the Jews have faced with, and the Jews still face this today. The Jews have got a problem as they're reading the Old Testament. And I want you to listen to this very carefully because this is really important. The Jews are still looking for their Messiah. You see, the Jews looking for their Messiah, they're looking for a king that is going to reign in righteousness and in glory. But they forget that the Old Testament also speaks about a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant, one who will be given for the transgressions of his people. We see that in Isaiah 53. We see that in Daniel chapter 9, really, really clearly. So on the one hand, we've got a suffering servant, and on the other hand, we've got a reigning king. Well, which? Well, the dilemma that they have is that there's only one of two options. Either we've got two messiahs coming once, or we've got one messiah coming twice. One that will suffer and die for the sins of the people and be risen again to return and to reign in righteousness. That's the messiah of the scriptures. That's the one that they can't recognise, that they can't see. But it wasn't just the Jews that were perplexed about this. In John 12, 16, we actually see the same thing happening with regards to the disciples. These things were understood and understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered they, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. It was when Christ was risen that his disciples remembered his words. Remembered his words. These are the words that are the central proclamation of the Bible. Turn with me again in Luke chapter 24. But we're going to read another account, another story. And I want you to consider this. This is a, a wonderful portion that I want to read in its entirety because it gives you an understanding of what had occurred immediately after the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The Lord himself was walking along the road to a, towards a city called Emmaus, known as the Emmaus Road, we refer to it as. Luke chapter 24 from verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of these things which had happened and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things that are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, 
Today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which had said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared unto Simon, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Mate, that your heart would also burn within you as you hear of him telling about himself as he walked along the way that that your heart would also melt inside you as as the lord opens up the scriptures you know when you read the word of god and you're listening to these things that are being expounded about the scriptures that you as well you would feel that within you that the lord is opening up a truth to us that is just astounding and amazing that this would be your experience as it was their experience the gospel this way the gospel this way would be the central focus of your life. Everything about the knowledge of the truth of Christ, that he was risen from the dead, and how incredible that event is, would stir you up that you would, like the apostles, go out in spite of anything else to share the wonderful joy in the truth of Christ. You remember what they did? I mean, do you remember that, that they, they abandoned him? They left him. They, they ran. All of a sudden, the, 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 the shepherd was taken and the sheep were scattered and they were scattered indeed. Peter denied the Lord three times. He walked with him. He talked with him. He confessed that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had said to him, oh, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, he's revealed this to you. And now you see all of a sudden they've turned away. What's happened? What's going on? He's been taken by the soldiers. He's been brought before, before, before uh, the high priest. There were two of them, you know. Two of them reigning at the same time. One was an uncle, the other one was a nephew, I think. You know, reigning at the same time. Both of them condemned him. He got taken from there on the same night over to Herod the king. and Because he happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. And he was happy to see him, really excited to see him, hoping some miracle would be done by him because he heard of Christ, remember? And then saw nothing in him and he sent him back and he went to Pilate and Pilate was also completely perplexed by him. But the disciples scattered. They left. 
And then when he was there before the high priest and you had John coming in and you had Peter standing on the outside, what did he do? He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art one of them. Thy speech betrayeth thee. No, no, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And then the second time, I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Who you're talking about. And the third time, he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man. Then the cock crew. And his sin came to his memory again. That the Lord Jesus spoke of these things. But think of them, and think of them there in the upper room. There they are talking. And, and the Lord Jesus appears. They're amazed at what's happened at the sepulchre. They're amazed that he's been taken there. They, they think that, well, I mean, Mary thought that they'd come and taken away the body, you know? And she goes to him thinking that he was the gardener. Remember that? You know? Well, tell me where he is and I'll go and take him myself. I'll go and fetch him. Mary, Rabboni, she says. Oh, what an incredible thing to imagine, you know? On the one hand, there they are, burdened and sorrowful that the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified on the cross. They gather themselves together, and then they gather themselves together. I'm going to go fishing. So they go fishing. And all of a sudden they recruited all the others who weren't fishermen. They all came with them. They went fishing. We go with you too. We go fishing too. You know. And Peter sees him cooking fish on the shore. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Who else could cook fish on the shore that hadn't been fishing? They were in that upper room and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And Imagine Thomas. I mean, my heart breaks for him because so sorrowful of his Lord, the man who he thought was the Saviour, the man that he thought was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He remembers the Scriptures saying, Ought Christ not abide forever? He remembers those. And he thought Christ was him. I accept I put my hand in his side and put my fingers into the print of the nails, I will not believe. And Jesus appears the next time. Simon, put your hand here. Thrust your hand into my side. Put your fingers into the print of the nails. We see something incredible about the glorified body of Christ, don't we? Glorified body of Christ, yet he still bears the marks of his passion on that cross. But you can understand it. I mean, if you were one of the disciples, you could understand that, couldn't you? You'd be exactly the same. You'd be, you'd be on the one hand thinking that you had a false hope. I believed, I believed, I believed, but then you got put on the cross. What's this? This isn't what's supposed to happen. And every moment you're sitting there thinking, well, did he say Elias is going to come and take him off the cross? If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe him. You know, and the disciples, you can imagine thinking the same thing, the same thing, and crushed. Lord Jesus even giving away his own mother. This is John with his mother, John the Apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he says, Mother, behold your son. And John, behold your mother. This is your mother. And he was giving her to him. His father was obviously, not his father, Joseph was obviously not around anymore by that stage. I wonder if you'd be any different. You would have doubted. You would have been mournful but now he's now he's risen he's risen he's risen he's risen from the dead and and now you can imagine the scriptures are burning their hearts within they're now looking back at the scriptures they're looking back at everything that was spoken concerning christ and now they are more alive than they've ever been in their lives before 
They have seen the risen Saviour. I pray, I pray that the gospel of your salvation would be something that you would be sharing day and night, that you would look for every opportunity to share the hope of Christ, that you would do so, and that you would do so again and again and again. And yes, yes, some are going to mock. Some are going to mock. And others are going to say, we'll hear you again of this matter. But some will believe. Some will believe. So play the numbers. Just play the numbers. It's not hard. Most businessmen play the numbers. You know, it's not gambling. We know that some will believe. The Lord has promised that some will believe. Speak the gospel to all that you might save some. Well, one thing is absolutely certain. If you tell no one, no one will come. If you tell no one, no one will come. If you pray for no one, no one will be drawn. And if you remain silent in your walk with the Lord and you evidence no hope of salvation through which some might inquire, then none will. None will inquire. But if you speak, some will believe. If you pray, some will be drawn. And if you live in hope, some will ask. This is the central proclamation of the Bible, is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Not that he died, but that he rose. (laughs) That he rose. That he rose. Christ is risen. And he is risen indeed. The central validation of the Son of God. We see this also in verse 4 of our text in the Gospel of Luke. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down with their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember, remember, central validation of the Son of God is the resurrection. Just as the angels confirmed to the women in what might even be looked at as the slightest of reproofs. Why seek ye the living from among the dead? Is not here, but is risen. Remember. Jesus told the world that he is the Son of God. He is the proto-Son of Man, the first begotten of the dead. And he now lives to validate his claim. Jesus spoke to many people about himself being who he is. Remember the woman at the well? He spoke to the woman at the well and and she was looking for the Messiah and she said, I know that Messiah cometh and, and, and he will tell us all these things. And what did Jesus say? I that speak to you am he. This is the same man who told me all things that ever I did, she said. Is this not the Christ? I mean, this is her validation. She recognises simply in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, him telling her about her husband, five, five husbands. And the one that she's now with is not her husband. You know, five of them she's had and she's gone back and she's told her friends and she's told the people in the village, she's told them the truth. This man is the one that told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Well, how much more now that he's risen from the dead? How much more now is he not validated that he is the Son of God? 
But it wasn't only to her. Ah, there was another individual. There was a man who was spoken about in the Old Testament. There was a man who was prophesied to come in the Old Testament. He was prophesied that he would come and that he would make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And who was that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this is the same individual whom the Lord Jesus Christ had said, there is no man of all the prophets of old, there is none greater than John. None greater than John. And yet John the Baptist, who Isaiah spoke about, that wrote, that would come and that would testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, even he also was the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he was the son of Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Elizabeth is the sister of Mary. And even he, from within the womb, jumped when he heard the voice, when she heard, Elizabeth heard the voice of Mary's salutation as she came over to see her sister, who was six months more advanced in her pregnancy than, than Mary was. And we know this by the, by the Bible. I'm not making it up. It's in the text. Right? But even he, he asked the question of the Lord Jesus Christ, he asked him in Luke chapter 7. It's worth turning there. Luke chapter 7 and verse 22. John, at this stage and at this time of his life, John, who said that and spoke of Christ and saying that he must increase, but I must decrease, at this stage, John was in prison. For Herodias' sake, John had dared to remind the king of his unlawful adultery with his brother Philip's wife. And now he was held confined at the king's pleasure. Perhaps concerned John might have been that his own proclamation of Christ was premature or in vain. Here he is in prison, awaiting a death sentence. Perhaps he was concerned that the axe was laid at the foot of his tree. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps, as Christ notes, that he might be offended for the sake of Christ, but without the blessing. Nevertheless, he sends his disciples to Jesus to see if he might validate himself, asking them in verse 20, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? How does Jesus respond in verse 22? Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. But through all these things, as the Lord did, that seemed to testify to the world who witnessed them that this is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, yet... They were only revealed to the disciples, but they weren't revealed and they weren't validated until after the resurrection of Christ. Something really interesting. Do you remember in the, in the New Testament, it speaks about, how many brothers did he have? Four, I think we got named. Four, four brothers that we have their names. And he's got at least two sisters because it mentions sisters in the plural. So he's got a number of, a number, big family, decent sized family. Do you know none of his brethren believed in him? Until when? After the resurrection. 
And James, one of his brothers, became the, one of the leaders within the church in Jerusalem. He was the brother of the Lord. And yet, even the disciples found timid, timid in their faith. When the shepherd was smitten, they scattered, as we spoke about before, until Christ was risen. Now let's have a look at the confirming text for us in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Turn there, Acts chapter 2. And listen to the testimony as we conclude this point. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Here's Peter speaking. Listen to his passion. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. This is a quote from David, the prophet in the book of Psalms. In verse 29, Peter goes on, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, where, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith of himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. It is the central validation of the Son of God is his resurrection. That's the point here. Remember before I spoke that it's that is the central proclamation of the entire Bible. David spoke about it, and that's the testimony there. David spoke about the resurrection of Christ in the Psalms. Thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither shall thy holy one see corruption. Corruption refers to the corrupting of the flesh. Remember what happens to our bodies after three days? It's not good. It's not good. Behold, he stinketh. Remember that the passage in John concerning Lazarus? Yeah. Behold, he stinketh. He was, there, he was dead for four days. I like that, stinketh. 
anyway. King James Bible has a way of making every foul word, you know, a little bit more pleasant. <laughs> Stinketh. Central validation of the Son of God is the resurrection of Christ. So the question is, how should this affect you? How should you now live? How would your life be ordered but as a witness to the truth of it, proclaimed in the scriptures and testified in you by a transformed life? Your life has been transformed. Your life has been changed. That's no accident. And if your life has not been transformed, if your life has not been changed, then you are not born again. You don't know Christ. But those of you who know Christ know that there is a change within you. There is, there is a certain organising of principles within you that has completely altered. You're not the person that you were before you were bought with a price because you've believed unto salvation. you believed with all your heart. So you recognise this. 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. I love that passage. That which we have seen, that which we have handled of the word of life. I'm reading, guys, when you're reading that, you are reading a first-hand account of an individual who testifies to have seen Christ, handled him, known him, and believed, and seen the resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ is the central proclamation of the Bible. The resurrection of Christ is the central validation of the Son of God. And now the, central, the resurrection of Christ is the central foundation of our faith. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection is the central foundation of our faith. interesting consideration you know the the principles of math are without foundation without the symbols seen in numbers to make math possible Uh, the logic of thought the logic of thought is not possible without the foundation of the words that help frame our minds Um, the impression of music It's void of any response without the notes that also provide its foundation. And so too, our faith is completely vain without the resurrection of Christ that provides our faith's foundation. And we see this here in this passage. And Paul makes it really, really clear that without the resurrection, our faith is vain. Have a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, I'm going to be reading some decent tracts of the scripture that you'll be able to see this in context. So I'm going to be reading this, 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 this complete pericope from up to verse 19. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which 
I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of Christ, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life we have hope, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The claim is not a complicated claim here. It's not a complicated claim. Paul simply testifies that the gospel that he preaches is that which has as its foundation the resurrection of Christ. Christ is risen and if it were not so, he simply would have no gospel to proclaim. In fact, worse than this, worse than this, <coughs> if Christ is not risen, then the sufferings that we suffer for the testimony of Christ is in vain completely in vain if Christ is not risen then the very testifying of our testimony is also seen as a false witness and again we testify of him in vain in, 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 recognize what he said you are now a false witness of Christ you're a false witness you're a false teacher if Christ has not risen if Christ is not risen then there is also no foundation for any belief anywhere that there ever is to be a resurrection of the dead. Did you get that one? If Christ isn't risen, nobody at any funeral, no matter where you go, have any ability to be able to proclaim with any degree of comfort or assurance or confidence that there is a resurrection of the dead. You can't be speaking of an afterlife if Christ has never risen because this is the only place where we've got that testimony in all of history. It's in the scriptures, nowhere else. And every other funeral that you've gone to that they say that person's in a better place right now, it's just, mate, they've got no idea. They've got no idea. It's based on nothing but fluff. Same people that deny you know, anything to do with spiritual things all of a sudden think that Oh, my mother's turning on my lamp. Uh, my mother's flickering in the television. Or my father's doing this. Or he's watching over me right now. 
you know. None of that has any validity apart from those who are in Christ. It's all vain imaginations and wishful thinking. If Christ is not risen, and this is the important part, (laughs) this is the important part. If Christ is not risen, and if the resurrection is proof both of the atonement and the redemption, the worst of all remains. And that is the greatest problem still for all of mankind. And what is that? Ye are yet in your sins. There is yet no answer for the sin of the world. God will judge as a righteous judge regardless. But now, without any salvation for any, nobody has a hope of salvation. Do you see the logic in this? You see, there's no getting away from the reality that God is. There's no getting away from the reality that God is the just judge, that God exists and that he has made us for a purpose. There's no getting away from that. The reality of that still stands and it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Even if Christ didn't exist, it doesn't go away. The problem of the sin of man and the problem of eternity still remains. But this time, without a solution. Without a solution. There's no answer to the fall. There's no answer to the fall now. There's no answer to the curse. The curse remains. In every way, all possible considerations of the notions related to the resurrection of Christ, if it did not occur, if it is not certifiable through history, through logic, through revelation, through experience and through witness, then if in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. Imagine that. Imagine that. If you've only got hope of him in this life and not hereafter, you're miserable. And then we've got verse 20. Verse 20. But, I love that word sometimes, you know, just where it appears right at the right time. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The resurrection of Christ is the central foundation of our faith. How is that to alter your manner of life? How important are those things that now occupy your time? How valuable are they in the scheme of things today? If the Lord... Let me ask you, honestly, if the Lord were to take you home now, what, what regret might occupy your thought? You, has everybody been to a funeral? Most of us have been to funerals. I don't know what you guys go through when you sit at a funeral. And, and it sometimes depends who it is that's passed but, and your relationship to them. But I can't help but review my life at every single funeral I sit in. At every single funeral, I sit there thinking, if I was to go now, would I have any regrets? Is there anything right now, any stone that I have left unturned, something that I know that I should have done before I went? Are there any regrets? And if you can think of some now, Deal with them now, beloved. Deal with them now. 
make sure that you set a priority to get that right, whatever it is. Is it a relationship with a parent, with a mother, a father? Is it a relationship with a next of kin, with a sister, with a brother, with a cousin, with a best mate? Is it, is it something there that right now, if you were to go, you would regret for a long time to come that you did not deal with that then? Well, here's a question. What if you knew right now that the Lord has given you another 12 months? You weren't quite as blessed as Hezekiah with 15 years. You were blessed with just one. What would you change? Is there any part of your life, are you content with the direction that your life is moving in at the moment? Knowing the resurrection is real, knowing that it's true, knowing that you have eternity with the Lord and that you have a reward set in heaven ready for you, waiting to claim. Is there anything that you would change right now if you had another 12 months to go? Something to consider. It's definitely something to consider. It's something that I had considered and it was decisions that I had made. The resurrection of Christ is the central proclamation of the Bible. The resurrection of Christ is the central validation of the Son of God. The resurrection of Christ is the central foundation of our faith. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is the central confirmation of our salvation. For many centuries, the Jews had called to their remembrance one day. One particular day, one day of the year that came along every single year that was to be brought to their mind all the day. It wasn't a day of celebration, it was a solemn day. It was a day for which the entire nation would participate in for the hope of heaven to come. It was known as the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. This is the day, it's also known as Yom Kippur, okay? This is the day in which the high priest would enter into the temple, but not only into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, the central portion in the temple. He was only allowed in there once a year, once a year, and only after a tremendous amount of sacrificial cleansing for himself, for his own sins. Part of it was in the washing, and the other part of it was also in the sacrifice of a bull for the priest alone, the high priest, because the high priest only was able to intercede on behalf of the people in the sanctuary before God. It was only once a year. It was only once a year. But two were the number of goats that were to be employed for the ritual of removing the sin of the people. There would be a lot cast with respect to the two goats. When the lot fell, the lot fell on one that would become the scapegoat. On him, the sins of the people were taken and he was let go, taken into the wilderness by the hand of a good man. And on the other would be the sins laid. That goat would be the one that would be sacrificed on the altar, his blood poured out and sprinkled onto the mercy seat and then sprinkled over the altar itself. All of this would be done one day of the year. There would be a remembrance of this done 
every single year for the next couple of thousand years. This was the most solemn day in the Jewish calendar. And it was to draw attention to the type, to the Christ that would come. They were looking forward to the cross of Christ. They were looking forward to the Messiah to come. And this was all done in remembrance of him coming. There will be one that would come who would be both the scapegoat and the sin offering. There will be one who would come who would not have to wash and who would not have to have anything sacrificed for his sin because he had no sin. But he would give himself as the sacrifice for sin. This was the Old Testament rituals that we see fulfilled in Christ. We see all of it fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he would not have to do this on a regular basis. He wouldn't have to call to the remembrance of sin every single year because, you see, the problem with the high priest was that they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They would die. There had to be another high priest. But the Bible says that Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ, as our high priest, intercedes before the Father. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. He was lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to draw all men to himself. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We close on this. Hebrews chapter 7. To the Jewish believers who are identified in the book of Hebrews, they are receiving the correction within this epistle, within this letter. Because of their own struggle with the flesh, they were struggling with their own flesh. They were struggling with sin. And it was a difficulty for them because... They were used to having their sins called to remembrance every single year and that they could then sacrifice and then at that sacrifice their sins would be purged and they could feel clean of their sins. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You've ever felt that I really, I really want to do something that will make me feel a little bit more cleaner than I am, that will make me feel a little bit better, you know, because we struggle, we wrestle with regards to sin. The Hebrews were exactly the same. The, the Gentiles who are addressed in the book of Galatians, well, this is now the book of Hebrews. They're both struggling with the same issue. The apostle here who's written the letter to them says, no, there is a better sacrifice that's been made for sin. It's Christ. There is a better way. There is no other more sacrifice that needs to be made. But these were burdened for the sin of the flesh and they used, they used to the past relief of the Day of Atonement. And they had turned back to what the Apostle here refers to as something that is the lesser and not the better. Not to Christ who is the better, but the lesser, the ceremonial law. Hebrews chapter 7, just four verses I want to read here. Verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, 
seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Beloved, the resurrection of Christ is the central confirmation of our salvation. Why? Because he ever liveth to make intercession for us before the Father, before that altar, before the Lord, before God. But if the promised Messiah had not risen, then there is no one offering this intercession for us. There is no one ever living. And there is therefore no guarantee that you would be saved. Not only would you have to now be perfect and without sin right up until the day of your death, somehow you need to deal with all your past sins, but there is no sacrifice for it available. The book of Hebrews makes it really clear. The blood of bulls and goats isn't sufficient to take away sin. Okay, They used to do that all the time in the Old Testament times, but the blood of the bulls and the goats, it wasn't to wash them from their sin. What they were doing was they were doing by faith that which we do now by faith. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that, he was, that his blood was shed for our sin. They were looking forward to Christ. They were looking forward to the Messiah, and that was a memorial every single year until the time of Christ. Does that make sense? Because the blood of those bulls and goats couldn't take away their sin. Matter of fact, Samuel was the one that says that God doesn't even delight in that. He delights in what? He delights in obedience. He delights in faithfulness. The resurrection of Christ shows him alive and not dead. We serve a risen saviour, not a dead prophet. Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and I until the redemption of the purchased possession, until Christ receives us to himself and until we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So tell me now what this means to you. What does this mean to you? Have a look and consider that you are now the blessed one that David wrote of to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. Tell me now about the victory of the resurrection over death. The victory. Death was our mortal enemy. No more is death our mortal enemy. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. Think of what this means to you. Think of what this means to your life right now. There is nothing that is able to harm you whilst Christ intercedes to the Father for you. Nothing. You now have the right and the ability to live your life to the fullest in Christ and also with absolute trust that you will be called home at the time appointed and no earlier, beloved. You don't have to fear those who kill the body. You don't have to fear any of that. You will not be going home until the time appointed by the Father. And when it's his appointment, that's not one that we're going to miss. You know, and it's not one that we should be worried about missing. Set your priorities in order, I pray. Change what it is that needs to be changed. Attend to those things which you might otherwise regret, regret and do so with all confidence in Christ. It's a new day. Today's a new day. This is a day that we celebrate that Christ is risen. And he has risen indeed. Risen indeed. Beloved, we worship at the beginning of the week, not the end of the week anymore. And there's a reason why that happened. We worship on the Sunday because the Lord rose the first day of the week. 
We worship on the first day of the week. Let it be not only the first day of the week for you, but let every first day of the week be another opportunity to live for Christ and to make the changes that you need to make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your blessing, your goodness, your grace, the wonderful work that you have done within our lives, that we have considered, dear Lord, this morning the central proclamation of the Bible, the central validation of the Son of God, the central foundation of our faith and the central confirmation of our salvation. The resurrection, dear Lord, being centre to everything. I pray, dear Lord, that we would rejoice in the knowledge of this and the understanding of its value and that you would continue to be with us and that we might glorify your name until we are taken home by you. We give you thanks. Whether we meet you in the air, dear Lord, or whether we fall asleep, we'll be in every way present with the Lord. We thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I tried to make that one a little bit shorter, but (laughs) I got a bit excited. I am sorry. Christ arose, 138 in your hymn books. 138 in your hymn books. I know I've probably told this story before, but in 2012, my family and I were in the garden tomb in Israel with a number of other uh, believers and I'd never heard this hymn before and we were in this beautiful shelter just outside the garden tomb and one of the pastors broke into this hymn and we started singing this hymn and all these people were coming into the shelter and they're taking video you know and listening to us singing this hymn it was such a wonderful day I mean imagine that in Jerusalem outside the garden tomb and singing this gorgeous hymn, Christ Arose. Stand and let's sing together. Let's sing it rejoicing in the Lord. You ready? You'll pick it up as we go along. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, Hallelujah, Christ arose. Vainly they watch his bed. Jesus, my.